All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we have Todd Shipway on the show. And while you are the director of IT, you are more importantly, the director of robot communications. And that, that is very, very interesting. Um, and you're working at, at Bossa Nova in robotics. And really, I mean, let's be honest, the, the robots or what it's all about. The robots are really more important than the end users. The end users are just a headcount. They're just a number in this, um, I don't know, cog of the machine. And it's really all about the robots. So I'm just gonna, why don't, why don't we, I'm just gonna let you speak a little bit first about, first of all, about what you do and truly why humans don't matter. Nice to have, thanks for, nice, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I do here at Bossa Nova Robotics, uh, well, first off, a little bit about Bossa Nova. So uh, we make, you know, automation, inventory, uh, automation, and management uh, systems. You know, and we use robotics to achieve most of that. Um, and what I do here is, you know, like you said, I have sort of two roles. Uh, you know, I'm director of IT where I manage all things IT. You know, everything down to office, internet, Wi-Fi, laptops, applications, you know, the whole the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, and then the other side, the flip side of that coin is the robot communications piece. You know, my background is in network engineering. Uh, uh, so I manage all of the things for robot communication, basically you know, everything down to the Wi-Fi cards, the, the uh, LTE hardware that's within the robot. The robots have networks within themselves. They have 10 gig networks on board. They've, you know, there's a whole, whole big piece of, of networking puzzle that comes into, you know, making the robots work both on the robot and getting that robot connected to the cloud uh, where we stream a ton of data. So it's connectivity is basically the breath that the robot requires to operate. So, Robotics, as far as changing the as far as changing the future goes, and the Internet of Things, and what we can make them do. Why? Well, first of all, why is this so important? And what are some of the things that you guys are doing? So it's it's important because robots could do things over and over and over and over and over, and they never complain. Uh, <laughs> they do it to the same thing, you know the exact same way every time. So your efficiency, your accuracy, just everything about a robot um, can be done very well. Um, so now $10 there's an hour, of, basically, if we can make a robot do a $10 an hour task, that's a good thing. Correct. You know, and it's, yes, it's putting some, you know, it's kind of replacing some jobs, but those jobs are now changing, um, you know, to adapt to, the robots, because you know, yes, that robot may be doing the job of that person, but now that robots, you know, has to have people to support it. Has to have you know, there's other sides of that. That now that robots creating data, there's going to be people that use that data, and now that person that that robot is technically replacing is now just being used in a different way. You know, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe just give me a couple examples. Like where have we where have we used uh, robotics to really? Uh, where, where are we? Where are we using r robots to replace the the human tired function, or where where humans fail? And you know, where? Give me an example of where a robot is better than a human. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, take our our inventory management uh, system with the robots. You know, if you look at stores, 
you know, such as Walmart uh, or their competitors uh, with, you know, there's, uh, there's a ton of different like grocery markets on them specifically. People with stuff um, on the shelf, people with money sitting on the shelf, money. Yes. Sitting on the the, shelf. Yeah. Any store can have hundreds of thousands of products sitting on the shelf that when it comes time to know when these things are low, getting low out of stock, you know, sometimes they don't realize it until, you know, without a robot, they don't realize it until someone complains or, you know, they have someone that has to go through and scan every one of these items and count how many is on the shelf. Um, and when you have you know, a store that has 430 some thousand products, that gets very tedious very quick. <laughs> After about 15 minutes, uh, it's tired of you know, many of these things. It's just extremely repetitive. Um, and in between there, the human is being asked, hey, where's the ketchup? Where's the mayonnaise? Can you help me get you? Do you have these in stock? There's, there's a lot of interruptions. It's incredibly inefficient. Uh, whereas the robot comes along, the robot scans in, in you know less than 30 seconds. Uh, and it oh, we have their whole AI back end that basically looks at all these pictures that the robot is taking and does all of the work itself. It counts what's, on, what's in stock, what's in stock, what's in the road. Uh, you know, all of these things in a matter of seconds, uh, and it can do it over and over. No one's asking the robot, where's, where's the, or can over and over again throughout a day. So on the flip side of that is, yes, we're taking that human out, uh, but that human is now focused on answering those questions for the people, you know, like instead of scanning now that human has a little tablet in her hand or you know a, a device hey where's the ketchup at and they can look up the ketchup they can help you they can help put the things on the that are now out of stock things you know mm-hmm. more things on the shelf more often that's just one job you know of a robot in in that environment okay all right bear with me one second here i'm switching i'm switching wi-fi connections hold on irony irony <laughs> Irony. Are right, you still there? Yep. All right, beautiful. You know, the irony of the, the Wi-Fi in my house. And uh, we're just going to leave this in the show since uh, the next topic is going to be Wi-Fi connectivity. I'm just going to, I am going to leave my <laughs> Wi-Fi connectivity mesh in my house. And the reason why is I've got eight kids homeschooling and I've got this wireless network. And every now and then my computer jumps on the kids network and I experience latency issues. And <laughs> here's the, in the middle of this show. <laughs> um, so, okay, so the here's what's cool about your job is now you are tasked with this ridiculous um, number, I don't know, do we, do we even call them, and you, can we call the robots end users, endpoints? What do we call the robots? What do you call them, robots? Uh, it's, for me, it's, it's a robot. You know, it's, it's an endpoint, but it's an endpoint with other endpoints behind it. So, you know, it's basically just a robot. I mean, is this like, are we tracking these via Mac addresses or how do you track all these? Uh, It's, well, do we name them humans? Are we giving them human names? Like if there's an, if there's one that's like really buggy, do we give him like, he's named Satan or something? Uh, Well, we do uh, unofficially. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, it's good. Okay. So um, how do we track all these? 
Uh, well, basically, you know, we, we assign a name to a, a robot. You know, we have specific, depending on the version of robot. Uh, you know, we have different like uh, it's not necessarily code names, but we just have different names for different versions. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, and then followed by you know some level of serial number. So we have you know a name that symbolizes the the version and the platform and then the, the serial number behind it, which can be anywhere from two to you know four characters or numbers. Um, and that's really how we, you know, define the robots, you know, because that name will have hundreds of components behind it. It's got a whole network behind it. It's, it's sort of like a, a mini office, if you will, <laughs> behind how, every, every awe. Name. How many of these guys do you have out there that you're managing and kind of in charge of? Uh, well, uh, a little while ago, uh, earlier this year, we were at around uh, 800, uh, and mm. then that's shrunken a little bit because uh, COVID has you know changed the the landscape yep. a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. But you know we're you know, we're hoping to get that back up. Just just insane. So uh, you're managing 100 robots out there. Uh, might as well be humans, but maybe they work a little. Okay, so what about the robots is not human? Well, obviously all of it, but, um, what about, what about the robots is worse than a human? Does that mean, if that makes sense, like what's the real problematic thing that just doesn't like when they're not working, they're not working. Right. So, um, it's not like you can call them up on the phone and be like, Hey, um, could you show up to work? Like what's, um, you can't call them or maybe you can call them, but what's going on? You know what I mean? What's the worst part about it? What's the, well, I mean, it really comes down to, you know, they cost a ton. So there's mm. only one. So when it's not working, mm. uh, whatever store or location that that robot is in is now, you know, once they get used to the, having that inventory data mm-hmm. uh, and now they have to go without it while we fix a problem, someone needs to be dispatched, whatever the case may be that that robot is now not working, you know, now it's equate equal to a, a certain mm. dollar amount because gotcha. now they're not, you know, they've got to do a little extra that they haven't had to do for a while. So um, that's the biggest thing is a robot not doing its mission uh, is the the biggest thing. And that can happen for a ton of different reasons. You know, a robot could run over a piece of plastic and that plastic gets wrapped up in the, you know, one of the motors and, you know, the robot can't move or something's happened with a battery Mm. or it didn't charge. It, it Mm. got knocked off charge because someone hit it with a buggy, Mm. uh, you know, and overnight we didn't realize it, you know, things like that. There's a, huge number of factors that keep it from that can keep a robot from not running. You know, our job is to find out when they happen and, Mm -hmm. you know, minimize that as much as possible. You just made me think of like the, the, the well pump going off and I'm just not having running water anymore as that's like, that's like we, the robots aren't working. We We don't have running water right now. We actually have to go like, I don't know. We have to go back to manually counting or something that's got to, you know, yes, no, no one wants to do that. Um, for you're in the business of robots. What about companies that need robots that don't know they need ro- robots? If that makes any sense. Is there, uh, is there a way to, you know, from the standpoint of selling executive management, the technology helps you do things better, right? That's basically what the robots are doing, right? We're help. We're, 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 in, we're counting, we're doing inventory faster, we're doing inventory more accurately, we're able to manage shrink and, I don't know, and gross margin and all of these things that would be very important from a business perspective. So, but just using the, the robot metaphor, I guess, even internally in your own company, what's it like selling 
technology to the the business forces or to executive management that you know we need to invest in this and what are the arguments or ways that you like to make those arguments well it's it's not easy um you know you have kind of two schools of thought in you know in business today you have the new school and, and the old school um when you get into the you know people that are familiar with technology and they understand you know the good that technology can bring it's a lot easier uh, discussion. Uh, however, there are still some of those folks out there that you know think that you know, humans are, are, are can do everything a robot can do uh, a whole lot better because they're human. Um, the other flip side of that is, you know, robots are a very hard sell in any aspect uh, outside of kind of warehousing and, and car manufacturing, mainly because you know just putting a robot in isn't enough that robot is now going to create a ton of data. Mm. And if you don't have the, the technology team on your side, your customer side, and the, the know-how and the experience to be able to capture that data and you know, action upon that data and do stuff with that data, well, the robot's not going to do you any good. Um, so it's, it's not like it can be used for everybody. There, there are some requirements that come with it. And because of that, uh, and this is just any robotics, just about any robotic solution is, you know, at the end of the day, a robot is doing a job. You have to be able to support that robot in any aspect before that robot becomes effective. And, you know, and for that, you know, robots can be a very hard sell because they come with a pretty, you know, A, the robots have a huge price tag in the first place. Um, but there's some ROI there when it's done, you know, correctly and efficiently and things like that. Um, but outside of just that price tag for the robot, there's also a price tag, you know, to be able to support what that robot is doing for you. That makes sense. So it's a, it's a hard sell. Um, especially in, you know, kind of retail environments, you know, anything like that, you know, it, it becomes really hard because now you've got to deal with, You've got to be able to sell that, hey, the robot can do this and do this really well. You've got to be able to show the, you know, metrics and, and record this stuff and show them all of this data. But there's also the safety aspect. Stores don't want robots running over people. Stores don't want robots you know, bumping into things. Stores are afraid of what a human is going to think of you know, walking alongside a robot. Um, <laughs> so this is, happening, this is happening. In, how big are these things? And this is happening during open store hours? Oh yeah, it's it's you know during you know, people are walking around it and you know we have some metrics. I, I don't know the, the specifics, but there's a certain amount of time you know that it takes for a robot to become invisible. Meaning that when a robot first goes in, everyone's like, "Oh wow!" and they're taking pictures and you know mm -hmm. doing things with the robot. And then after thirty, forty-five days, you know whatever that number is, you know the robot becomes more invisible. Where everyone's kind of used to it, the fanfare has worn off, and now the robot's kind of doing its thing, and everyone just works around it or just, huh. you know, doesn't see it. Uh, and there's different parts of the country. That time frame is different. <laughs> you know, West coast, it's a little shorter. East coast, it's a little longer. So there's, you know, there's some give and take there. Um, but it's so one of the saying, hardest parts. Are you saying that, West coast people are more adept at technology or more used to weird technology than East coast people? Yes. <laughs> that's what it's, that's kind of what it seems like is, you know, we can see this because, you know, we've tracked this, you know, because the one thing that robots for, for decades have been run and fine in, um, 
your manufacturing environments. They're yep. taken off in warehouse environments where there's no humans around. Like it's just, there may be humans, but they're workers and they're used to this technology. And then you go into a store like a, you know, a Walmart or a, you know, a Walgreens or a dollar store or whatever the case may be. And people aren't used to seeing this robot roam around. And now, you know, for example, at Walmart, you've got inventory robots, you've got, um, floor cleaning robots, you've got pallet robots, like you've got all these robots around and it's starting to become, you know, average and people are starting to become used to it, but you know, it's still, it's still early on in the robot. What areas of the, <laughs> you know, I watched the social dilemma with my kids last night because I want to like scare them into, uh, I don't know if you've seen <laughs> that yet, but, uh, I want to, I have. yeah. Okay. I want to scare them into, you know, you know, whatever you social media and, and, and AI and all of this stuff, but there's probably a, a lot of, um, I don't know. Is there like an AI learning curve here or anything like that with the robots or the, you know, is there any kind of things that you, any weird things you've noticed that you guys have discovered from, from working with them that you didn't think from the beginning? Oh yes, absolutely. There's, there's a ton of stuff that, you know, over the past, you know, three to five years you uh-huh. know, we've had to deal with, you know, something as simple as like, for example, in a Walmart, a Walmart's got skylights. Well, uh-huh. if you're familiar with a Walmart specifically, they've got like their apparel is a different floor than their aisles, uh, you know, different flooring. And then there's, you know, transition strips to do that. Well, mm. when you're talking with AI and computer vision and autonomy and how this robot kind of sees and avoids obstacles, well, that during certain parts of the day and certain in sunnier parts of the country, you know, the, the sun would shine that skylight, create a little bit of reflection, and our robot would see an obstacle. Uh, and that obstacle is depending on the different types of flooring that were in there. And, you know, mm-hmm. a Walmart in one part of the country may have a different color flooring than one in another. So there was a lot of little things like that you normally don't think about. Uh, but, you know, we had to address it. We had to, you know, solve it. Um, trying to think about a couple others. The transition strips were a big issue uh, because they would, they weren't standard. Uh, mm-hmm. as well as just, you know, being able to, uh, overcome some of the technology shortcomings, you know, like with LIDAR, not being able to see, you know, if someone went in a, like a store in all black, mm-hmm. like one of those black suits where you're just covered head to toe in black, yeah. you know, LIDAR is not going to see you. Um, there's things like that <laughs> that we just had to overcome, you know, and, so and solve. So the, so the robot's profiling people. <laughs> <laughs> This guy looks sketchy. He's all in black. We do not see him. <laughs> they, um, well, last time we were, t- I can't remember what why we were saying humans shouldn't be kept in the loop, or we we had we had mentioned something about that. And and what was that? What, why well, would- we call it HITL, H I T L, human in the loop. Yeah, um, and that's basically the the uh, the the overall pipeline of a robot. So a lot of your you know robotic solutions, you know, air quotes around that, um, can, are saying that we can, our robot can go out and do this and we can give you this data. What they're not telling you is the robot is, you know, for example, there's, there's a robot out there, not ours. A, a, at one point it was a competitor of ours, um, that scans, that's basically looks similar to ours and it kind of roams around and it's looking for spills, you know, and, mm-hmm. and call when it finds a spill, it calls a, you know, across the PA, hey, there's a spill, come clean it up. What they're actually, what's not being told about that is what we call human in a loop. And that means that, 
from the time that robot sees something, the time a data or an action is created, a human is in that loop somewhere. Meaning that, you know, for that spill robot, a, a robot sees a spill, alerts a human with a picture. Hey, I think this is a spill. Is it yes or no? And a human is saying, yes, that's a spill alert or no, that's not a spill ignore. Um, that's what we call human in a loop. And in the world of robotics, the biggest thing is you want to get you know, as much humans out of the pipeline of the robotics to, to from a, you know, all the actions along the way, meaning that a robot should be able to go out and do its job, finish its job, and a human never has to do anything. We need to eliminate to the humans. Job. So for that robot yes. to have even been successful, it should have just cleaned up the spill itself. Yeah, well, either that or have the technology and the, the, the learning to understand what a spill is. Now, that's a very hard thing to determine. So I, you know, I kind of understand that. But every robotics company out there starts with human in the loop. And then uh, as, you, as they progress and they kind of work on their solution, they're constantly working to lessen the amount of humans that are in that, you know, that uh, data loop. Hmm. So it's all about automation and, and refining your technology to allow the robot to do everything it needs to do completely on its own. How and that's we, where you get the efficiency. Because once a human gets involved, your efficiency mm. of the robot is dropped because humans are not efficient. Crazy. Mind-blowing. And yet we invented the robots. How can we eliminate as many humans? <laughs> How can we eliminate all of us? <laughs> How can we eliminate all of us and just you know, leave it to the robots? Uh, that's a... Uh, that's a world I don't want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> How can we just, you know, we, we'll, so we, we want to eliminate all of the, all of the work, the mundane tasks and everything, and just let the robots work for us, I guess is the better way, is the better way of putting it. That would be ideal, mainly because you don't want a robot making a whole lot of decisions that you don't know about. <laughs> uh, it can make some really crazy decisions uh, based off of some of the data it, it creates without some guardrails. And once you take those decision guardrails away, a robot could do some really crazy things. <laughs> you got any examples? Even that you've just uh, heard of in general. About publicly. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Well, we'll just, we'll leave that up to imagination. I'm sure that, well, <laughs> we'll leave that one up to, yeah, to imagination. As far as uh, networking and, and wireless networking goes, um, I, I'm sure it's a, a, a wireless networking challenge that's much worse than, uh, I don't know, what many people have dealt with, whether it be Wi-Fi access points in hospitals, hotels, whatever it is. I'm sure yours is a little bit more uh, complicated. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of where, where I came in and is that you know, when these robots are created, no one, the, the roboticists and the hardware engineers have no concept of, hey, I can just connect this to Wi-Fi, the, the magic happens. Um, mm. But there comes a point <laughs> where you have to understand what that, that black magic uh, of connectivity is. Uh -huh. uh, and that's kind of where I come in. And, you know, the robot, our robot specifically, you know, is streaming a ton of really high definition images, uh -huh. um, you know, to, to do its job to our, you know, our cloud instance where all the AI yep. you know, processing and algorithms take place. Yep. Um, but even then that robot is also sending telemetry data. Now the safety and navigation of that robot is all on board. So that means, you know, if connectivity goes down, that robot's still not going to run over a you know somebody's kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
But as far as any of the telemetry data, when something goes wrong, if someone needs to access that robot, robots get stuck all the time. It, you know, it may get in a position that it just can't calculate a way out, whether that's humans in the way, uh, you know, it gets in a position. There's a lot of times where we've had, you know, teenagers on Friday nights take basketballs and like create a cage for a robot <laughs> and a robot can't get out of it. So a human has to connect to that robot <laughs> to get it, you know, past whatever obstacle it, it has. Um, so, Connectivity for the robot is really important. And when you're looking at our use case specifically in uh, retail environments, just recently in the past couple of years, you know, these retailers have started putting Wi-Fi in their stores. But when they put it in stores, it's built specifically for phones. They want somebody to load their app, uh, walk into the store, be able to have really good Wi-Fi access on their phone to look up where you know, this shirt is or where this bottle of mayonnaise is or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. uh, which is very light, you know, a few hundred K and you're done. Uh, the mm -hmm. session's over, mm -hmm. person moves on. And then our robot comes in and we're going to come in and we're going to stream, you know, 30, 40 gig of data across the, you know, <laughs> across the wireless network while we're roaming the entire store. Um, Hopping from access point to access point. Yes, we're roaming everywhere. So one of our big problems was was the roaming aspect. Um, you know, we would come in and we we kind of blew apart you know the way they designed their the wireless network. We required them to have more APs to be able to have a higher quality. Uh, you know, we basically needed a voice quality Wi-Fi network where retailers just aren't doing that. They're starting to now because they're starting to get. Every tool they have, whether it's a robot, whether it's a you know a cleaner, or even the stuff they're selling, you know, like a Walmart, they've got TVs, they've got all of this stuff that mm -hmm. is on Wi-Fi now. So the Wi-Fi in a store is becoming critical to just business operations now. So they're starting to change it. Uh, and we were a little earlier in that, so there was a ton of work that we had to do. You know, I worked very heavily with Walmart's network team specifically on you know how can we improve things both on the robot. There was a lot of work we did on the robot side. We looked at hardware and we wrote different drivers to roam differently and all this stuff that we did to better utilize the Wi-Fi technology we had today. Um, and this is before Wi-Fi 6 and you know LTE and all this other stuff kind of really came in. Uh, and then we also had to deal with the, the backup connectivity, which is where LTE comes in. You know, all of the robots have an LTE connection that when Wi-Fi goes away, it can at least get on LTE and use it. But what we ran into there is, of course, that gets really expensive really quick, especially if we're going to do, um, you know, 30 gigabytes of data across the, you know, a, an hey. LTE connection in a matter of minutes. Yeah, that would be... Um, you know, it gets really expensive quick. We go from, you know, a bill of 20000 a month to, you know, 460000 a month in you know, a matter of 24 hours. Uh, so they come with a lot of interest, interesting challenges, uh, both Wi-Fi and local networking. You have a very, uh, very cool, you know, even, even prior to, um, you know, replacing humans with robots, you have a very, you have a pretty awesome background, um, having worked at even Facebook and the data center piece. Are you allowed to talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, the because uh, again, I'm assuming from uh, since 2013 to now, I'm assuming their data center and racks, rack space, and energy consumption has grown kind of maybe a tiny bit. 
Oh yes, they've they've built many more <laughs> data center campuses um, since I've left there. What was that? What was that like as far as uh, working in that data center space? I mean, how big are we talking? How big would you say it is right now? Like data consumption, energy. I mean, it's got to be ridiculous. Oh, it's huge. I mean, they would have you know, like for example, one data center campus is made up of four buildings. Uh, those four buildings are. Uh, uh, I forget how big, somewhere around the four or 500,000 square foot range per building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then each building would have, you know, 130, 150,000 servers. Uh, yeah. The biggest piece of that was the network to connect it. You know, we would have this massive fiber network to basically create, you know, this mm-hmm. crazy network between all the buildings because everything was split into different, uh, you know, different clusters and, you know, you when you go to Facebook, your images may load from one data center. Your videos may come from a different data center. Your ads may come from a different data center. Your user profile may come from a different one. So there's this massive, you know, network that in a data center world is you know, larger than any regular data center would ever need, mainly because you know their need is is custom. Um, and it was all, you know, every server is ten gigs, so we had this massive ten gig. Are they just way ahead? Are they just way, do they just have to be building all the time? Like just build, yeah, yes, they have to power. be. And the I mean, is it just like like right now they're like okay, purchase this land, let's build this, like bring in generators. I mean, are they building their own data center stuff, or are they using? I mean, no, um, it's all it's all built themselves. You know, I mean, the generators, you know, they're off the let me say off the shelf. But one building would have eighteen data, uh, generators. You know, eighteen two megawatt generators. I think or two or five. This massive plant of, of generators per building. Um, so it was, you know, they're just everything they have, they have to build it themselves, mainly because when you get off the shelf, even you know, when I was there, we were building out this massive pop network, you know, around the globe, we would go into colos and we wanted to get to the edge, meaning that when a user would go to Facebook, mm-hmm. that that HTTP connection mm-hmm. was terminated as close to that user as possible. Yeah, like what if you're on Facebook in, uh, I don't know, the like Congo? Or what if you're on Facebook yeah. in, you know, like where where's the nearest like network access point or, you know, pop or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, and that's the, the big network that we were building out was, you know, we would go into these, we'd find data centers and all, we'd have a map and we'd figure out where all the best places would be. Uh-huh. And we'd go in and put a, a, you know, get a cage, yeah. really relatively larger cage and all these data centers and build a pop network. And then that would have a hefty backbone to our data center network where the real data happens, but your edge termination happens as close to you as possible to speed this up. That way the back end connection, you know, your front end would be local to you or as close to local as, as we could get it. The yeah. back end connection then would be this massive, you know, bandwidth behemoth uh, that connects that pop to all of the data centers where, yeah. Yeah. And that was a big thing. And we would need, you know, when I was working there, we were turning up, you know, circuits, 10 gig circuits by the hundreds. And we got to a <laughs> point where, you know, what? providers couldn't yeah. do it fast, couldn't give us the bandwidth we needed fast enough. So we had to start building our own fiber network and, you know, doing all of this crazy stuff because we were just, no one could, no one could give us what we needed as fast as we could get it. You know, we had this massive, uh, cluster yeah. of F5 uh, load balance. I'm just blown away. I forget the I'm model, but it was away. the largest yeah. one. And I've got videos that show 
this F5, you know, all of this stack of F5s showing it's a DOS alert. You know, we were being DOS attacked. And it wasn't a DOS attack. It was just we were pushing so much data. It just couldn't handle it. It thought it was being attacked. So it's things like, like that. You're, you're attacking yourself. <laughs> yeah. So it's things like that that we just couldn't use off the shelf stuff. Even you, know, even Cisco and Juniper, um, you know, we use Juniper as backbone router. So even those we were pushing to the limits, we would put it in and within about four hours, it's maxed out. Um, so we had to put in, Absolutely we would never put away. in just one. We that put in 16 at a time. It just had to have been a crazy was, job. I don't, I don't even know. It I was. I wonder if it's slowed yeah. down. You think it's slowed down now because, because Facebook yes. has kind of scaled to where it's at, you know? I think so. Yeah. And they've got everything. It's so automated. At the time I was there, it was still growing like crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was still still a, a hot thing. It's still a hot thing now, but they've got most of that on lock and key now to where it's just a matter of here's the stamp, go do this. And they've got it so, you know, yeah, so efficient nowadays that it, you know, it can't be as crazy as it once was. I would imagine there's still be like third world country type build out stuff that, that oh, might yeah. be going on. But um, the, I don't, and I was trying to think last night because I, I was talking, my, my kids were asking me like, as we were watching that movie, the social dilemma, they're asking me like, you know, well, what if like, because the, the data center part of the movie came up and it was like, well, what happens if, you know, like someone cuts one of those cords? <laughs> I was like, they're asking me like, how do they know where like every cat five or cat six or whatever, you know, how, how do they know where every cable goes? And I was like, they know where every cable goes. Do you guys know where yeah, it's, it's a whole system that, uh, I mean, just, seriously, have, like if one cat six cable came unplugged, would someone, would something alert and someone would go plug it back in? Oh yeah. We would know that even though we had millions upon millions of, of servers and, and yeah. network devices, and, you know, and labeling stuff, process. Yeah. 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 We had a, an entire full time staff of, I think like 20 to 25 people mm-hmm. at each data center that all they do is cabling. Uh, because <laughs> by the time you build out one, you know, one data center campus, you know, a year later, because it was all in clusters, you know, you'd have one, one building is split into four halls, data halls. And then within data hall, you may have one or two clusters of, of whatever it may be, whether it's ads, whether it's, you know, videos and messaging, whatever the cluster is. But by the time you get everything built out, now you're going back through and rebuilding one whole cluster. So now you're ripping all these servers out. And putting all new ones in, and you got to recabling all of it. Like it's, it's it was this massive. Has Facebook thing. had an outage? I'm trying to remember. Like, have they had an outage? I'm, they have, but back, uh, it's it's never like a data center outage. You know, the uh-huh. the data center, the infrastructure for Facebook is built such that they can actually lose entire data center campuses, yeah. and you, the user, would never feel it. Like really good geo redundancy. Oh yeah, it's it's massive, and everything the data is replicated everywhere. So, like if the East know, Coast can, got nuked, like if the East Coast got nuked, like they'd be fine. Yeah, it's going to run off of all the other data centers. They have plenty of data centers now. You know, at one point it was only one. You know, then we got to two, and then we got to three. So it's you know, it slowly I just can't got there. That one growth, of the, it's so amazing the, for me to just think about. Yeah, one of the big exercises that I you know that we worked on while I was there uh-huh. is the. Uh, the ability to, uh, you know, uh, we had a code name, I forgot what the code name was, but <laughs> we would actually null route an entire data center camps and see what happened. Uh, you know, and, and to make sure all of the DR and everything would work, we would actually do full size yeah. real world, you know, outages 
Look, Mark said, Mark said, we got to flip the switch today. <laughs> it's a, it's just, it was a very stressful time with that null route. That's for sure. <laughs> Mark just called. It's two o'clock in the morning. He wants us to flip the switch and make sure everything still works. Um, <laughs> I just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind that a simple, so like this social media, like idea, like at what's behind it, what the, the growth behind it. And people don't really know unless you're kind of like in our world or even partially understand our world to really understand the compute power and the energy it takes up and the, the wires going everywhere. It's, it's really, it's, I, I don't, it's, it's more it's bigger than a movie. It's, it's bigger than like the matrix. Like it's, it's, it's bigger than make believe in, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. It, it's just, it's, you can make it's a, crazy. You can make a full length movie on just the infrastructure and, you know, <laughs> to run idea. Facebook and it'd be, you know, a hot cool. movie. Cause it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool. Like just traveling, just like five, you know, follow the, follow the, you know, the cabling jockeys around. Like and see, yeah. just like yeah, I mean, really, just like a we. If they, you know, now that we're talking about this, maybe someone will find this this little podcast of mine, and then someone will come up with some reality show of Facebook <laughs> jockeys, like you know, it'll be like a be a three season show. Um, how did you get to this point? Like, do you remember, like, where, like when you were when you were a little one? Like, how did this all start for you? Well, it all started back in you know. You know, back in high school, I think ninth grade or so, just when I don't know what year that would be, ninety four or five ish. Uh, I started. um, I I was the like the school, and and I came from a really small town. You know, I think my graduating class was like twenty five people. It was very small school. We didn't have hardly any technology. Um, You know, then at the time, you know, I, I was the the local. Computer guy, <laughs> you know, I had nice. Started with a nice two eighty six, and uh, you know, went to three eighty six and forty six at home. And you know, nice. I was a computer guy, so you know, I started out just kind of helping out at school, and they had no network there. Uh, and at the time, I kind of helped the the county figure out how to put the network in. And then we got this massive, you know, what we call the distance learning lab, where you know, we had You're satellites. Doing this while in school, and, You're doing this while in high school. Yeah, this is when I was at like ninth and tenth grade. Um, so. I built or I helped them set up this massive distance learning. So now us in this little tiny school out in the middle of the the mountains of Maryland uh, can now take classes from a college professor in California or, and this is, you know, back in, like I said, 95, 96, when all this kind of the remote learning thing is just. No one even heard of it. Everyone was laughing. Yeah. What? It wasn't used that way. That way. Uh, Yeah. Wow, um, this was 98? 98? Yeah, this would be 95, 96-ish, because I graduated in 97. What? what? How did we even do that? Let's see. How do they even – what kind of internet are we talking about? What, you might, uh, it wasn't internet at the time. This is like direct satellite connections. You know, we had this big satellite on the roof of the school that <laughs> went up and that we would connect. It was a very okay. – when I look back, it's like, wow, this is – we probably – you know, the, the school system probably paid a, a small fortune to make that Crazy happen. Um, you know, and, and it kind of went from there. I just kind of became the school computer guy. Um, and then when I graduated school, you know, went to college there, kind of went from there, I started building, you know, 
my own BBS and then I had my own ISP you know, with a wall of 56K modems. And then that turned into <laughs> a couple of T1s and, you know, and kind of went from there where I had my own ISP. And then that sold to you know, a local larger ISP and it kind of just escalated from there. You know, I was in the ISP world for quite a while, um, you know, and then basically just Eddie. built from there, you know, to where I'm at today. Do you have any pictures of that wall of modems? I do somewhere, but I, cause at the time oh. these are paper pictures. So I, I've got to try to <laughs> dig them up. <laughs> that would be so awesome. It'd be really cool. It'd be really cool to see some of that stuff, a wall of modems and then a T1. You got a T1, man. Like you, you were, you were firing. <laughs> oh yeah. T1. Then you get to a DS3 and you know, at that point I was, I was starting to get out of it cause I was focusing on college and, yeah, yeah. You know, even in college, I was kind of you know, you know, we had a Visual Basic class. I remember very vividly this yeah. Visual Basic class in college. Yeah, me, I was. They put us in this. I went to a tech college, so we were in the apartment with my two roommates, who were also kind of you know on on the level of me, where we were. You know, we already kind of knew the stuff, so we sat down and finished the entire. You lived Visual with a Basic bunch of nerds, okay? Night. You got you lived with a bunch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we finished, you know, the entire Visual Basic class the first night we had school. Um, you know, and we started building things at the school that the school couldn't have, and you know, because <laughs> a lot of that that we just, you know, and all of that just started building from from there. Where you know, we left there, went to. That's got to be like a feeling of power. That, that, did that go to your head ever? Like this feeling of power, of ability to do something that no one else really. Do you think that that's a problem? in the tech world, like I've got power that no one else really, they're clueless. It can be, uh, you know, I see it, especially not so much in, in that aspect, like, you know, I can do this or, or that, um, you know, I know I mean, like back you, you were able to build where, things and do things that were like very, very, I mean, powerful is what I mean, you know, and like able to do things that and communicate in ways that other people are just, you know, really clueless of. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I don't think it's much of a problem nowadays, but back then it, it definitely was. You had, you know, you had some power trips. Uh, I tried to keep those kind of low on my end, but I, I've seen many of them. I've seen people in the radar. You know, come and go because of power trips. Yeah. 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 Um, outstanding. Uh, been, been a lot of fun having you on the show. I could talk about Facebook data center and stuff uh, forever <laughs> uh, and walls of old modems. That's just outstanding. Um, for anyone out there in the industry, uh, people, you know, other IT directors, mid-market people, or anything like that, um, any, any, like, any piece of advice moving forward into the future or anything, anything that you can offer up? Uh, I mean, my biggest thing, thing that I tell people when I talk to them is, you know, having worked at Facebook, having worked at small companies, large companies, and insanely large, you know, companies from a, an infrastructure and IT and just, technology perspective, mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, understand scale and ha- understand how to work at scale. Uh, you know, having worked at Facebook, when I approach a problem today, I approach it completely differently. Having the experience I had at Facebook from scale, not that I would solve it the way Facebook would, but it's just a matter of thinking about things differently. You know, don't pay attention to what, you know, the book says you can do. You know, the book says what they think you can do. Uh, you know, understand the technology. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm the president of a local company or a local nonprofit called React, which is robotics and engineering in Allegheny County together. Uh, and 
basically what that organization does is, you know, we raise money and we provide robotics classes and, uh, you know, technology STEM oriented classes and after, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after school activities mm-hmm. to the county students. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things I tell people there is, you know, if you want to be in technology, understand the underlying technology. Mm-hmm. Don't stop at what the manual says, uh, mainly because once you understand how a technology works, mm-hmm. you can now do whatever your imagining comes to uh, with that technology above and beyond what they say it can do. Modifying, modifying, changing, getting creative, moving beyond. Yes. Yeah. You can solve problems with things you never thought you could solve problems with. Mm. And that is where the value comes in, you know, either in your small little IT organization, you could probably solve problems a whole lot easier, cheaper, quicker, you know, with different things you never thought possible, Uh, you know, at scale, you do things, if, you, if you're able to understand the technology, the, the low-lying stuff, you can now mm-hmm. build a solution that scales, you know, to hyperscale if, if you needed to. It's, it's all about understanding what you're working with. And, you know, that's, that's what's got me where I'm at today, you know, from a career perspective. And now that I'm kind of, I'm still, you know, an engineer at heart, I'm still, you know, in command line doing code and things like that. But, you know, it's starting to, it's starting to peel away and I'm starting to have to get into more management and architects and budgeting and things like that. But, uh, you know, for all those people coming up, I definitely say, uh, you know, take the time and understand the technology that you're, you're working with and find what you love. Hey man, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, I think people are really going to like this. Thanks for having me. 